This is a special InvestTalk bonus podcast. InvestTalk host Justin Klein talks with Lifeline's Craig Roberts. We're joined now by Justin Klein. Justin is CEO of Klein, Fabulous and Peasley Financial, KPP Financial. He is co-host of InvestTalk. Heard each Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio AM 1220, KDOW. And Justin, a delight to have you join us. Welcome back. It's a delight to be here, Craig. And uh, you missed one thing on that uh, news rundown. Is after the bell, uh, the Fitch just downgraded our credit rating as a country. Ooh, ouch. Okay, so <laughs> while I was going to share a story about an uptick in consumer confidence, uh, Fitch apparently doesn't have much confidence in the U.S. And give us your perspective on that, both in terms of what went into their decision to downgrade, downgrade our, our credit rating, as well as what that ultimately may potentially mean for retirees or people saving for retirement. Well, their reasoning is, is certainly sound. Obviously, our, our fiscal situation is uh, is becoming more and more uh, difficult uh, as time goes on, and a lot of it has to do with uh, off-balance sheet liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Social Security liabilities coming on balance sheet with so many baby boomers retiring uh, and getting older, and that's just uh, something that uh, most demographers could see from a mile away. Um, so this is something that uh, should have been pretty obvious decades ago, um, and we'll probably have to deal with it at some point. What are the near-term ramifications? Probably not that much. I mean, you're talking about going from AAA to AA+. Uh, you know, we still have the ability to uh, finance ourselves, at least in the, in the short to medium term. You know, what does that mean for the dollar longer term? You know, I don't think we're going to be bankrupt or anything like that, but, uh, you know, could that mean uh, in, in more inflation down the line? I think that's certainly uh, true. So I think it just tells you that we are in a, a new regime, a new uh, environment where uh, inflation is going to be different than it has been in the past, and it's probably going to be a bit higher. It doesn't have to be runaway inflation. This isn't this isn't uh, Zimbabwe or anything like that. But uh, a higher level inflation is probably what's to be expected um, going forward. Yeah, and, and that certainly can't be very good news to the Fed. I mean, we just saw them last week engage in their 11th rate increase in about 12 months, I think. Uh, we're now seeing what I guess the, the, the impact of the overnight lending rate really influences everything, whether you're buying a home, buying a car, or even spending money on your credit card and, and, and letting it uh, you know, sit there for a while. That means it's going to be a lot more expensive in a lot of ways for Americans. So what? We have two choices, I guess, either spend less or at the end of the day, spend more through higher, uh, higher interest rates and ultimately higher inflation. Yeah, well, I think you're talking about kind of two separate things. So, you know, the fish thing is about the government, and then there's the individual. And, in fact, the individual, yes, there are higher costs of a mortgage and, and buying cars and the interest rate sensitive parts of the economy. But in general, it's actually been not that bad of a setup for most Americans, especially those that locked in mortgage rates at 3%, you know, a few years back. And their carrying costs for that hasn't changed. This uh, It's kind of, I don't know if you know this, but... It's pretty rare to have 30-year mortgages in, in Europe. Uh, those are they're more more floating rate. They reset every two to five years, uh, et cetera. We're here in the U.S. Most people have those low fixed mortgages. So, uh, it, what's actually happening happening is a lot of individuals now have savings and they're actually earning something on their savings now, and they're actually having what is called positive carry. They're borrowing at three in their mortgage, and they're actually getting paid five five and a half percent now on. Um, on the uh, on on their cash, 
uh, by investing in treasuries, money market accounts, CDs, etc. So this is a, a new environment that most people aren't used to. And in fact, higher interest rates, perplexing, per, per, perplexingly, in some ways is actually perpetuating inflation going forward uh, and, and today. It's in some parts of the economy and in other parts, you're correct, there is some drag. Wow. And that certainly creates a bit of a quandrum for the Fed as they're raising rates in an effort to try and get a handle on inflation and, and kind of cool the afterburners of the economy. And, and we've certainly seen, I, th- I think, some some movement in the positive direction I- in that regard, that we're beginning to see a downtick in inflation. Uh, although, interestingly enough, you talk about real estate, that, that, that really hasn't impacted real estate very much, and not certainly in, in areas like the San Francisco Bay region, down south towards you know, L.A., San Diego, many of those parts of the state um, continue to be, while perhaps not as crazy as they were, say, this time a year ago uh, or even two years ago when you could get a, a good 30-year fix for, what, barely 3%. Now it's more than twice that number. How much of a chilling effect has the interest rates had on real estate? And, and given the demand here in California, um, what is your sense of the forecast in terms of how real estate is going to look, both for first-time home buyers or people that are looking at real estate as an investment in the next few years? Well, you're correct that the marginal home buyer, the first-time home buyer, they are pretty much priced out of the market. But there's always that certain level of uh, a certain number of home buyers that they're not that interest rate sensitive, uh, mainly because they have cash, uh, they have high income, so doesn't really matter the carrying cost uh, to, to them purchasing. Um, so, you know, you've kind of hit that level. So, you know, what's happening more is the volume is just very, very low. The amount of inventory is in the, on the market is very, very low because um, they're, they're, we've been underbuilding for a long period of time. And, you know, it, it's, the prices are coming down, but they're coming down slowly. And a lot of people make this huge mistake. And what they do is they look at the last recession and they think they look at the next recession through that lens. Mm. And if you look back through history, almost never is the catalyst for the previous recession the same catalyst for the recession going forward. Why? It's because we are humans and we, we, we feel the pain. Everyone felt the pain from 08. So what do the people do? We put in a mechanism to make it so it's harder to get a mortgage. So only mortgages go out to those people with very high credit ratings. There aren't the you know the, the no doc mortgages a- anymore, and I don't know if you've had it, you've, you've had it refinance or get a mortgage in the last uh, ten years or so. You have to jump through a million hoops to do so, and so it, it, it's it's there's not a lot of forced sellers. You know, oh eight there was a ton of forced sellers. You know, the jingle mail and all that. So this is not that that environment. And so will uh, will ha- the housing market continue correct? Yes, but it's the uh, housing market's slow. It, it it takes a lot of time, and it's probably going to still be another two, three, four years before the market fully kind of corrects and gets back into uh, a healthy equilibrium, which we're not there yet. Um, and so, uh, I think in California, especially the Bay Area, I've said this for a while, uh, the the the, the uh, workers within the tech industry they're not cashing out huge stock bonuses and things like that anymore, so they're not able to uh, put money down, uh, you know, a couple million dollars easily down on the home. A lot of people are moving out because they uh, see better opportunities, cheaper places to live, and still work from home now as opposed to having to go in the office. So I think the Bay Area certainly is going to be weaker than, say, Southern California. But in general, the high-priced markets are going to probably continue to struggle under the weight of, of higher interest rates. And uh, But it doesn't mean it has to be a housing crash or anything like that. 
it's just a, a, a modest, continual, consistent correction that will happen probably over a number of years. And, you know, in, on, on, the, on the investment side, you know, the cap rates in California are just very, very low. They remain very, very low. And now you can get good, say, corporate bonds yielding 7%, which is much better than a lot of the cap rates you're getting on real estate here in, the, here in California and a lot of parts of the United States. So a lot of people are turning towards that where they're able to get without any worries, not have to deal with any, any tenants or anything like that. They're clipping their coupons on a lot of bonds that are yielding you know, six, seven, eight percent, and that's pretty remarkable. I mean, considering where where the bond market was just a few years ago, even CDs. My goodness, we haven't talked about CDs, Justin, outside of in the context of music <laughs> in decades. And now all of a sudden, I'm hearing people say, "Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 certainly not going to be a way that I'm going to get rich overnight." But you know, five five and a quarter percent guaranteed over you know nine months, 10, uh, twelve months is not some such a bad deal, at least compared to the you know point oh 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 one percentile that we were seeing just a scant year and a half ago. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, for people, and it, especially those that uh, everyone's been ch- chasing yield for a long period of time, trying to get it, it, I, two years ago, three years ago, you were getting five percent on junk bonds, right? Companies that are pretty low credit ratings. That's all you were going to get. It was around the five percent level. Now you can get those on treasuries, and so. It's, it's a lot better environment for people to go out there and earn solid, consistent yields. Uh, and so it's, it's a new environment, new world. Insurance go through these long, multi-decade decade cycles, usually 30 to 40 years up and 30 to 40 years down. We just finished that from the early 80s up until just, uh, just uh, the last couple of years when interest rates really broke out to the upside. And we think because inflation is likely to remain relatively persistently above what we're used to, it's not going to be this 1% to 2% disinflationary environment that we saw you know, through the 90s and early 2000s. It's going to be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a 4% to 5% average inflation over the next couple of decades. And that's due to you know dollar probably weakening, but also deglobalization. You're seeing that right now uh, in a big way. Uh, obviously, regionalization of supply chains, you have a bifurcated world with, uh, you know, Russia and China and the East versus, you know, Europe and, and the U.S. and the West uh, and, and our allies. So uh, all of those geopolitical concerns are also going to push inflation higher, which means interest rates probably headed higher over the long term. Obviously, there can be uh, drops. Maybe, you know, the Fed cuts rates next year. That's certainly possible. But for now, you likely are seeing inflation uh, and interest rates headed higher. You you make a reference to what I'll call the long game, and I want to spend some time unpacking that when we come back, because that sense of instant gratification is something that we Americans are used to, right? Who but an American looks at the microwave, you know, trying to heat up a cup of water for coffee and is complaining that it didn't boil in under a minute, right? This is the way we see things. We want that sense of instantaneous gratification. But is that necessarily a formula for financial success when it comes to planning for retirement? We'll talk about the short versus the long game as our conversation with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial, co-host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Invite you to check them out, kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. We'll take a time out. Back to more insights as our conversation with Justin Klein continues on this edition of Life.
This is a special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Invest Talk host Justin Klein talks with Lifeline's Craig Roberts. Talking about markets, money, retirement planning with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial and co host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Justin, prior to the break, you made reference to long term planning, long game, I'll call it. And, you know, it's interesting. You talk about human behavior, and, and, and I know to a great degree what you do in your business is analyzing not only human thinking, human behavior, our relationships to money, and how we manage it or fail to manage it. Certainly the notion of what happened last month will be used as a guide for what we're going to do in the future, right? Uh, How many people walk through the checkout stand at the grocery store, look at the front page of a newspaper or uh, maybe a periodical, and we look at a list of the top producing stocks of the last quarter and think, oh, I'm just going to buy this and see what did well, and then copy it uh, on my uh, my online investments, and, and off I go to to, uh, retirement land, but it doesn't work that way. Help us understand when we talk about the long game for retirement planning. What do people need to be doing? How, what kind of approach is is necessary in order to arrive at the kind of money pile that's going to be necessary to take us through retirement? Well, the first is to not do what you just said, right? Chasing those returns over the past month or quarter or even year. Because uh, typically, that's a terrible way to invest. Uh, it's, it's emotional. Uh, and frankly, that's how most average people invest. They invest with their emotions because we are humans and we are emotional beings. And so uh, when you don't have any basis or good basis for uh, searching and finding the right investments for you, you turn to emotions, which is kind of our, our natural programming. Uh, so what it's really about, the re- real investing is about understanding uh, the assets, the risks versus rewards of the companies, of the assets that you're looking at, uh, and making uh, in bets, making investments, true investments in quality assets, quality businesses, not just what's hot at the moment. Because uh, what, what can be hot today can easily turn cold tomorrow. And, and nothing highlighted that more than the post-COVID era, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, and everybody was jumping into these tech stocks and they were extrapolating this growth saying, hey, we were going to uh, see this huge shift to work from home and, and the whole world has changed. And that certainly is true. But what they did was they, they overestimated uh, the type of growth and the sustainability of the growth that was taking place in 2020 and 2021. And nothing highlights that more than Zoom. Remember, everybody was on Zoom. They thought Zoom was this incredible company and everybody and their mother was going to have to have a Zoom subscription because that's how you're going to operate and do business. And the stock went from pre-pandemic right around 60 bucks and it went to a high of nearly 600. So almost a thousand fold, right, from pre-pandemic. Well, today it's back down to $72, so barely up from its pre-pandemic level. And why is that? Is because it was hot money, and while Zoom's business is fine and their product is good, it's nothing special. Uh, there's a lot of products out there where you can do video conferencing, and just as good, if sometimes if, uh, even better than Zoom. Uh, and so 
what most people do is they try to hop on these trains and they have no mechanism to understand whether these are quality businesses, what if I should buy it now uh, or later, and what about the economic backdrop? It can be a good company today, but the economic backdrop just isn't working uh, in that particular uh, environment, for example. So uh, when you're looking at long-term investing, you really have to have not not just a you don't want to have a myopic view of just a short period of time. You want to look long term to know if this fits you as with your investment strategy, your risk tolerance level, and whether or not it's a quality asset long term. So that that long term approach um, is going to be critically important. I guess that also means that you need to have a strategy in place because there's going to be some ups and downs along the way, and and, and certainly these bumps on the radar screen, while perhaps not as significant as the 2008 2009 downturn, the the 2000 dot com bubble being burst, or even going back, probably nobody in this audience remembers, but going back to the days of the Great Depression. I mean, those were kind of anomalies to what are the, the normal market cycles, but the market does cycle. And so I suppose then having, having a roadmap looking ahead to carry you through those cyclical moments, because it really needs to be, as you're suggesting, forward thinking, doesn't it? I mean, you know, there's, there's aspects of lessons of history that can be valuable, uh, but when it comes to investing, that really isn't that helpful of a tool, is it? No, it's not. And, and, Having a plan is, you're right, seeing through uh, any wiggles uh, in the market or the economy uh, and knowing that your strategy makes sense for your situation and that you're investing in companies and, and businesses or, or assets in general that have long-term sustainability, not stories. So many people get caught up in stories. They, they, they read an article or they talk to their cousin or their friend or their brother and they, they get caught up in the story. And that's not what really investing is about. Investing isn't about a story. Investing is about businesses and cash flow and earnings and then understanding where is that going? Not what it did today, not what it did during COVID, but how does that fit in the world that we are in? Not in the world that you wish it to be. A lot of people use their, um, you know, their political uh, viewpoint, whether that's left or that's right, whatever that is, and they try to invest you using that lens. And that's one of the big mistakes most people make, is they invest for the world that they wish it to be, as opposed to the world that it is. Mm. And it, that will guide your success. It doesn't, the, the market doesn't care what your political leanings are. It, matter, it cares what is actually going to happen going forward. And we think we're in an environment where, whether you like it or not, we're kind of regionalizing our supply chains or bringing a lot of manufacturing back to the United States. I don't know if you know this, but right now there is a 78% increase in spending on manufacturing facilities uh, CapEx spending and manufacturing facilities here in the United States, year over year. Okay, so there's a massive boom in manufacturing facility production, uh, and that's an environment where demand for manufactured goods here in the United States is actually shrinking. So imagine how good that would be if we had a, an environment where everyone started to buy things again. You know, we're kind of in this phase where people had bought a bunch of things during the pandemic, and now we have a bunch of stuff, and now we're spending it on. Uh, experiences going out to e-traveling, et cetera. 
Um, so this, these regionalized uh, supply chains are, are definitely going to be a driver of the economy going forward. And you have to adjust your, uh, the companies you're investing in accordingly. You know, the, the, the raw materials, energy, industry, those are going to be, I think, the best places to be invested over the next uh, decade or two as we uh, bring our supply chains back home. So certainly now the, the, the shift that used to be the emerging markets were all located overseas. Now more and more we're seeing them here closer to home. In fact, uh, very near the, the uh, what do we want to call it, the Apple spaceship, the Apple campus. Uh, they're getting ready to build yet another mega campus for applied materials to begin manufacturing chips right here where they all started. Amazing stuff. There was a commercial that came out probably a decade ago. If you um, are old enough, you might remember it. It essentially was a marketing commercial for Buick, and it sort of reimagined, reinvented the Buick automobile with the tagline, not your father's Buick. Can the same be said of retirement now, that it's not your parents' or your grandparents' retirement? It's your retirement, and yours will be a lot different than theirs. We'll talk about that next. Our conversation continues with CEO of KPP Financial, Justin Klein, Justin, co-host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. By the way, if you'd like to get more information about Justin, his good work, or maybe you're in a position where many of the things that we've talked about on the program so far are, are beginning to pique your interest, or you have that sense of, gee, from what Justin has said, I don't think I'm on the right track. I'm a little bit nervous. Where can I get some help? I invite you to reach out to Justin. You can get more information online at kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. Back to more insights with Justin Klein as Lifeline continues. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E. Dot com, HackerOne.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a special InvestTalk bonus podcast. InvestTalk host Justin Klein talks with Lifeline's Craig Roberts. We continue our discussion with Justin Klein, CEO of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, KPP Financial, and co-host of InvestTalk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. And certainly, Justin, it's not that long ago that a decent pension... Social Security, and hopefully somewhere along the way, a mortgage-burning party would probably mean you would have an okay retirement. It may not be a trip around the globe or um, you know, vacationing in Paris every year, but you could still comfortably retire. But that uh, that's changed pretty dramatically, hasn't it? And with more and more companies scuttling their pension plans and looking at the downward pressure on Social Security, you alluded to that even in your opening remarks tonight, it, it would seem to me that it really is going to be incumbent upon all of us to really start to get serious about retirement planning. But how do we encourage people to get started? Well, the way that I do it is I stress the savings part, most of all. And a lot of people, they look at uh, either the real estate market or the stock market, and they think that is their, that's their ticket to financial independence. And what I've seen throughout the years is that it's not nearly as much about the investment side as it is about the saving side. You have to save consistently. You have to have a savings mechanism and a habit that will keep you moving forward, taking steps forward week after week. That's one of the reasons why, going back to the pension discussion, most people, they had a pension because who was putting money away for them? It was the, the, the company that putting them away for them. Now, each individual has to do that, but they have to do that through the 401k, and it's an automatic savings mechanism, and that's why most people amass the largest fortune through their 401ks because of that consistency in savings. So that's number one, is creating that savings habit and doing that consistently throughout your life. And then taking that money and being smart with it and uh, investing it so you're, uh, you're growing it consistently over time and you're not having huge giant swings that are going to cause you to make bad decisions at the wrong time, either when the market's down or when the market's up. You know, you talked before about people looking at the hottest stocks and chasing, you know, the, the, the hottest sector. You see this all the time with these thematic ETFs. You know, there's a lot of ones that are covering AI right now, and AI is a hot theme. Uh, but the vast majority of those names are drastically overvalued or terrible long-term investments because of the valuation. So that's an example where people, people are making the wrong decision uh, when everything's overhyped. 
happened the other way, which you saw that. I'm sure you and many of the listeners out there know people that saw what happened in 08. They liquidated all their portfolios probably just around the wrong time, and they probably haven't, some of them maybe have not never gotten back in. But it's, for a lot of people, it took years for them to get back in. So both of those can be ruinous over the long term for a, a, a retirement plan. So it's not about, uh, you're never going to pick the high, you're never going to pick the low. It's about saving consistently and investing in quality businesses, quality assets that are, are going to return above average inflation over the long term. This isn't a get-rich-quick type of uh, endeavor. This is a get-rich-slowly endeavor, and that includes saving as well as investing prudently. And, and do strategies like uh, market sector rotation become critically important? Because let's, for example, say a lot of people just at the, the onset of COVID said, wow, folks are being hospitalized, everybody's talking about health care, so I'm going to plow all my money into pharmaceuticals and hospital chains and things of this sort, because that seemed to be the direction that, that things were happening in. Now, of course, the, the, the lion's share of at least the worst part of, of COVID seems to be behind us. There's even been talk in the news about the potentiality of, of having find something now that could permanently prevent the transmission of COVID, which is very encouraging news. But does this suggest then, as we talk about this this ongoing motion in the market, these cycles that you spoke of earlier, that, that incorporating things like market sector rotation becomes more and more important? Well, it does to a degree, but not nearly in the way that you talked about. Uh, so what you, what you spoke about was the story. And that's not a great way to invest. It's actually a very poor way to invest is to latch onto the story. The better way to do it, which is what we do, is, is look at uh, both the, the, the macro backdrop, really, is the growth and the inflation in the economy. Is growth increasing or is growth decreasing? Is inflation increasing or is it decreasing? And in those, there's four different outcomes there. And depending on that, certain sectors tend to do well in certain environments. For example, if the economy is growing, and inflation is ebbing, right, coming down, usually the consumer does better because unemployment's falling, you have uh, more disposable income, and they spend more. And vice versa, if the flip, the flip side is happening, the, the economy is slowing, and you have inflation coming down, well, most people are, uh, or sorry, inflation going up, uh, most people are maybe losing their jobs, worried about losing their jobs, they're going and buying more consumer staples, right? Um, and so that those sectors tend to do well. So it's really about the economic backdrop. If you're talking about sector rotation, not based on the theme of what is hot now or what's in, in the news. That is usually a terrible way to allocate capital. It's more about the economic backdrop and who's what, which companies are increasing their earnings and which ones are uh, struggling during the uh, current economic times. When you look at, at a strategic approach to this, uh, you know, there, there's the old adage when it comes to finding criminals, follow the money, right? They've, they've, said that, they've said that for years. Is the same thing true when it comes to investing in terms of being able to gauge where, uh, let's say, the, the, the big money is going? You know, we're, we're, we're talking about the top-tier folks where the banks are putting their money and others. Is there a way to ascertain that and, and kind of use that as a bit of a clue as to where things might be headed next? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, it's definitely important to follow where the big boys are moving money. And there's two types 
of, of big boys in this env- in this environment. One is actually the, the large index funds. Um, and so when people have jobs, and that's one reason why the, the, the stock market hasn't really fallen off a cliff over the past uh, year or so, is because people have jobs. They're paying, putting money in their 401ks, and 401ks are kind of legislated now to where they have to go into the index funds. And the index funds are weighted towards these large cap stocks, and when the market goes up, these large cap stocks tend to do uh, get the outsized uh, amount of the dollars. And so that's what you really have to, to follow are those fund flows, and those are certainly important. Uh, there are other, other uh, fund flows that come from big institutions. There's some complexities there when it comes to uh, option trading and positioning and things like that, and that's certainly something uh, to follow. Uh, but what I'm actually following right now is the Treasury. The Treasury is issuing a lot of debt, and what they do when they issue a lot of debt is they pull liquidity out of the market. And whether they're going to issue long-term debt versus short-term debt, that, uh, that changes the dynamics as well. And so in an environment where in the, the debt issue has continued to be kicked up into the sovereign level, right? We had this, uh, this problem when it came to uh, 08, and that was on the household balance sheet, okay? And then that was kicked up to corporations, okay, and banks, and there's a lot of debt built up there. And now after COVID, it was kicked up to the government who has uh, the biggest debt problem. And so this is an environment where what they do is very, very important. And are they issuing a lot of long-term debt and that's going to pull up liquidity out of the market or are they issuing more short-term debt, which doesn't do so uh, as much. And so there are definitely some large factors that play into where money is flowing and it's important to follow that. Uh, where, where that that kind of institutional uh, decision making is is happening? Yeah, I was just going to say the, the institutional money can often be a, a bit of an, an indicator, as they are kind of with their eye on the future, uh, moving money around that might give you a clue as to what the next trend might be that you can kind of uh, catch the wave, so we say. If you've just joined us, you're catching the retirement planning wave with Justin Klein, CEO of Klein. Pavlis and Peasley Financial, KPP Financial. You can check him out every weekday afternoon. He co-hosts Invest Talk, heard at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220, KDOW. We'll take a brief time out. When we come back, how do you go about ascertaining just how much of a nest egg will you need to make sure your nest remains nice and cozy for the entirety of your retirement? Folks are living longer. This strategy becoming more and more important. That part of the discussion with Justin Klein as Lifeline continued. This is a special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Invest Talk host Justin Klein talks with Lifeline's Craig Roberts continue our conversation tonight with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial and co-host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station AM 1220 KDOW. Anytime you're in the uh, the mood for some business news, get a sense of what's going on in the world and its impact on your financial life, check them out at uh, AM 1220 KDOW, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. 
you know, when um, folks my age, <laughs> certainly, Justin, uh, get together maybe over dinner and start talking about uh, how far off are you from retirement and things of this sort, I, I find that on occasion the conversation will turn to a quandary that oftentimes people say, you know, I, I know I need discipline, I know I need to be saving, I know I need to set money aside for short-term needs, long-term needs, right? you know, certainly uh, aggressively planning for retirement, especially as you grow uh, closer to uh, your, your 60s. But the one question that seems to puzzle a lot of people is, how much is enough? And I realize there's no such thing as one size fits all. You can't give anybody on the radio that number. But for folks listening saying, okay, give me some insights. What is the formula? How do I go about generally calculating how much of a nest egg I'm going to need to take me safely to and through retirement? Well, you're definitely correct. Everybody is different. Some people want to sit at home with their grandkids, and and that's going to be their retirement. And that doesn't cost a lot of money, right? Maybe some gifts for your grandkids, things like that. Uh, taking them to Disneyland or, or trips and things like that. But uh, others want to golf a lot. Others want to travel a lot. And th- there's very uh, varying levels of cost to all of that. And so everybody's uh, definitely different. Now, the, the standard rule is 4%. Uh, that changes a lot. Uh, I think it's becoming uh, uh, probably more ingrained. I think 4% makes sense for most people still. Uh, but life expectancy continues to go up. So that's a good thing uh, that we're we're living longer. In many ways, we're living healthier lives, especially if you, you know, have good habits. Um, but it is really about putting a plan together that incorporates everything from risk tolerance level to uh, how much, uh, what type of lifestyle you want to lead in retirement, how much do you want to leave to your next of kin as well, or maybe to a church or some other nonprofit. You know, those are all uh, variables that change how much somebody really needs uh, in retirement. And so that's what we, we do for clients along with uh, the investment side and building strategies. Uh, but you're right, it is becoming more and more complex, like you said at the top of the show. Uh, but the 4% rule, I think for most people still applies. Uh, basically saying that, hey, I, I need an amount to take 4% out of my re- retirement accounts each year uh, based on my expenses. Some, some people, that's 50 grand a year. Some people might be 500 grand a year. It just depends on the person. So you're looking at a combination of uh, whatever your Social Security number is going to be. They used to send you a birthday card. Now I understand you have to go online, but you can still get that, that estimation from the SSA mm-hmm. to determine what your anticipated retirement will be. And there's certainly different stages, whether you reach full retirement. I think you get something like 8% additional for every year beyond your full retirement age that you delay it up mm-hmm. to the age of 70. Um, mm-hmm. So those factors, and then perhaps what? If you maybe have some rental income, uh, other potential sources, coupled with then that percentile that you're removing out of that nest egg every year. And I guess the one thing, you know, talking about our retirement not being our grandparents' retirement, for a lot of our grandparents, my goodness, Justin, they they retired at 65 or 68. They lived for a few years, maybe took a couple of cruises, and then by the time they were in their mid to late 70s, they were gone. And now you're finding people that are living to 85, 95. I think that we're at a world record of the number of centarians that are alive today, which means you could almost wind up spending 
as much time of your life retired as you did in the working world, assuming you got started in your your uh, 20s. And so I guess that really means that the size of that nest egg, uh, dependent upon how fast you spend it and how comfortable you want to be, it, it can potentially really grow exponentially with the longevity tables going to where they're at. Absolutely. And, and you did throw in... Uh the social security aspect, which I don't think social security is going away. There's some easy ways to kind of fix uh, things. A lot of them are uh, politically uh, uh, unpalatable for, for either side, but I think eventually we'll probably get there. Uh, but, you know, allowing that to grow, like you said, 8% after your full retirement age up until age of 70, I think is important. Um, even if you have to pull out a little bit more from your IRAs or 401ks, as long as you're healthy, it's probably a good idea to, to wait until you're 70. And it's even more important in this environment where inflation is likely to remain elevated. I think I talked earlier about how Social Security recipients this year got a 9% increase in their in their payments. Uh, and most studies show actually show that most retirees don't feel the full effects of retirement as much as the average person because they're not driving as much, they're not buying as many clothes, etc. Um, and but it's important to when you uh, when you're getting that nine percent increase, the bigger that base is, the more it's going to consistently grow over time, and that's a guaranteed growth, right? This isn't like maybe I'm going to earn seven or eight percent or something in the markets. This is guaranteed from the government that you're going to get uh, that that cola increase, and so you want to probably wait as long as possible to try to uh, allow the cola adjustments over time that are likely to be elevated to hit a larger number. For a lot of people, this process is bewildering. It is confusing. Uh, it's it's like preparing to pay your taxes on April 15th of every year uh, multiplied by a thousand. And a lot of people just decide, you know, this is more than I can handle. I'm going to seek out the advice of a professional because it's just well beyond my pay grade. Toward that end, for folks that have eavesdropped on our conversation today, Justin, it'd say, yeah, you know, you guys have really hit on a number of key points that's raising questions for me, and I think I've decided I need some help. Folks want to get more information about uh, being able to take advantage of a a remote appointment with you, what do they need to do? Well, the easiest thing is to head over to our website, kppfinancial.com. Uh, if they want to learn more about InvestTalks, go to investtalk.com and, and listen to some shows. You'll, you'll get a lot out of that. Uh, and mainly it's about having the right mindset for making smart decisions. And uh, sometimes people can do that themselves, and others, they don't feel like they have the time, the discipline, the data, the expertise to do it themselves, and they, they hand that over to, to us. And then uh, they can head over to kppfinancial.com, click on the uh, portfolio review tab on the top right and schedule a call with me. See how easy that is? So check it out at KPP Financial, the broadcast invest talk, heard Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. on our sister station AM 1220 KDW. You want to stay on top of the latest financial news and its impact on your retirement? Then check out Invest Talk, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. And AM 1220 KDOW. Our guest today is the CEO of KPP Financial and co-host of Invest Talk, Justin Klein. Justin, as always, a delight to spend some time with you. Thanks so much for uh, carving out a bit of your busy schedule for us. Thank you for having me. This has been a special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Justin Klein interviewed by Craig Roberts of Lifeline. Learn more anytime and get your free InvestTalk podcast downloads at investtalk.com. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. 
Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 